0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining me yet again for another episode, and I'm here with my friend Rachel Sharano. Rachel, you are one of the few return guests that we've had at the Boca Podcast, so thank you for joining us again.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be back.
0: And uh, we're going to actually get into a little bit of a, a juicy topic here in just a bit. I'm excited to go there. We were chatting briefly about it before we get started, but to get us started at like we normally do, and we actually did this, we had you on the podcast back in episode 81. So those of you that listen or are listening now uh, have not heard episode 81 with Rachel and she, she delves into the topic of boudoir photography and has a wonderful perspective on it. Make sure you go back and listen to that episode, but you also get to know her a little bit more personally as well. Uh, if you go back to episode 81. So check that out. Um, you can always just go to Bocapodcast.com and also search Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, and then Sherano, S-C-H-I-R-A-N-O. And um, you can find that episode, but it's episode 81. All that said, um, we, we started with an aha moment last time. I'd love to hear maybe yet another big lesson that you've learned as a business owner, uh, if you'd be willing to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I constantly have aha moments. Um, I turned 40 last year and surprisingly it caught me off guard. Um, I, I <laughs> ended up making it a year of celebrating me uh, by doing all sorts of crazy things. But one of the biggest things I took away from it is that I just don't think I'm ever going to stop learning and growing and having those moments that propel me forward, which is really cool. I love that.
0: That's. I mean, that says a lot about the approach that you're taking to life. And, and by the way, you skirted the fact that, that you had these wild and crazy things for your 40th birthday. We, we have to come back to that now, you realize. <laughs> but, but I like that, that openness, uh, open-mindedness, I guess, to continuing to learn. And that's something that I strive for as well. But hopefully we never stop that uh, yeah. because I think it's easy to get stuck in a, in a rut. You see that around us all the time. And the last thing that I want to do is get stuck. And it sounds like you've got a very similar mentality.
1: Very much so. I feel like I, I, this sounds super dark. I don't mean it to, but I feel like if you get too comfortable, you just become irrelevant. Yes. And I don't mean that in the sense that nobody cares about you anymore, just in the sense that you're not moving forward, you're not growing and you got stuck in a certain place. And I would say that's probably particularly true with photography, but I would imagine it's true across industries.
0: Well, and you know, it's. It, I know I've mentioned this book a few times now, I think on the podcast, but it reminds me of the notion of tension that Esther Perel talks about in her a book about relationships or maintaining passion in relationships called mating in captivity. But what she talks about is this idea of tension in a positive context. We, we I think as business owners, we constantly run into situations where we face tension and, and rather than looking at it as a source of stress, if you actually adjust the mentality, your outlook, your perspective on that so-called tension, that, that maybe challenging situation um, if you kind of shift the mentality to looking at it as an opportunity to improve or to grow, um, I, I think it'll significantly not only change your experience of it being less stressful or, or minimizing the stress altogether, uh, but then you also grow from that. And, and that's just a much healthier uh, mentality or approach to have.
1: Absolutely. I feel like my start in photography was kind of rocky um, for a couple different reasons outside sources, inside sources, all sorts of things. But I found this quote by mother Teresa and I grew up Catholic. I'm not particularly religious now, but I, there's this quote by mother Teresa that everything in life is either, I don't remember exactly how it goes. I'm terrible with that, but everything in life is either a blessing or a lesson. Hmm. Um, and so every time I approached something that got me down or frustrated or angry or uh, jealous, I would just dig into it until I could find something that I could learn from it. And usually it was had something to do with how I was feeling about Whatever the topic was, it had nothing to do with that person.
0: Yeah, there's that kind of cliche thing that you hear in corporate America, which is, you know, rather than referring to an issue as a problem, they refer to it as an opportunity. And I, just saying that out loud almost makes me cringe. I hate those kinds of cliches, but the reality is, at the root of of that principle is something very valuable, and and it really is very much about. Belief, uh, your belief about the meaning of that situation, and you get to choose what meaning you assign to this. This is a principle that I've I've alluded to before that Tony Robbins makes a big deal about. But you get to look at a scenario and give it a meaning, and it's uh-huh. up to you whether you give it a a negative connotation or a negative meaning or something positive. And and I love that notion of looking at it as an opportunity or a lesson. Uh, that would suggest a proactive mentality, which is, again, is so much healthier and it helps minimize stress. That's really great.
1: Yeah, my kids are in fifth grade this year, the little ones, and they are working on growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And they come home all the time pointing out ways that I exhibit growth mindset. And I didn't fully realize how much it impacted them until they started talking about it in school. And they'll be like, that's growth mindset, not fixed mindset. Good job, mom.
0: <laughs> that's but that's great. How old are, are they again?
1: Uh, they're
0: in fifth grade. Fifth grade. So for, to have kids that are only in fifth grade beginning to learn that mentality. I, I mean, if, if I had learned that in fifth grade, I'd like to think I would be much further ahead in life already. Um, I know, That's, that's really powerful <laughs> that they're learning that. That's really cool. So we've we talked about kind of the philosophy and the principles behind how you're approaching learning in life. But it, it, is there a particular instance, another instance that comes to mind that you can share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't. It was so... Through that process of kind of trying to embrace where I'm at and own where I'm at and want to move forward, I started to come up with a mission statement and core values for my business. Because as it grows and changes, I want to have something I can refer back to that really kind of grounds me and reminds me of what I'm trying to do and accomplish. And in putting all of that together, I realized that what I love most about what I do has nothing to do with business, even though I love it. It has nothing to do with photography, even though I also love it. It That's to do with people. The people I work with, my clients, and serving them, and it's all about people. Um, Which, after figuring that out, kind of brought up the topic we're going to talk about today in terms of how that relates to how I approach a wedding day. And it was just kind of one of those aha moments that are so obvious. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) but when they hit you, it just kind of makes everything make sense. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's funny how, and and this is happening a good bit for me. So I I turn. I'm not quite forty. I'll be forty very soon, though, and. Uh, i 've been in a kind of a similar place in my own life personally where i 'm looking at i 'm kind of looking back a little bit and even just over the last few years and seeing the the lessons that i 've learned the principles that i 've learned. And, you know, of course, you also, it also leads you to a place, at least in some cases, where you're like, man, if if I had only learned this thing before, this is what I may have been able to accomplish. Some of those lessons that I've learned, though, have been, as you say, very simple, very obvious, even very straightforward. And it's funny how, you know, as much as we might be able to read something in a book, it's ultimately the personal experience that really kind of makes it hit home for us. But so many in in so many cases, Um, but in that in that particular context, I think it's ultimately important, and to your earlier point, that that we are really clear, and I know we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but it's so, so important because I think it enables us to grow not only personally, but ultimately professionally to levels that we may not have even been able to dream, which is to be really clear about the principles, the values, the philosophy that drives what we do. Photography is really great, but I think it would be an interesting kind of homework assignment for our listeners, if you will, to just sit for 20 minutes in the quiet without Netflix on, without music on, just sit for a little bit and think about what it is about photography, what it is about business that actually gets you so excited or actually makes you happy and understanding what those things are. Those are likely tied to your values. And if you can then create a, not only a life, but a business as well that is driven by your values, you're going to be a much more fulfilled person. You're going to be less burnt out um, I think it's a much more proactive way to, to look at life. And so I love that you you bring this point up to begin with.
1: Yeah, and it is. It's very much like my mission statement is very much focused on fostering honest relationships and collaboration and believing that everyone deserves to have their story told with grace and authenticity, which is just any time I look at it, it brings everything full circle. Every job I've had since the time I was little, all it revolves around something similar that can relate back to that. And I think it's really cool to find that and then look back and see how it was a driving force the whole time.
0: That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Well, th- this is a great way to start the podcast off, and I'm already excited about the direction the conversation is going. So we'll just continue on. Now, this is normally where we would kind of jump to some personal stories and, and let our listeners get to know you a little bit. As I mentioned earlier, we interviewed you back in episode eighty one. And so if those of you who are listening in have not heard episode eighty one, you want to get to know Rachel a little bit more uh, on a personal level, make sure you go back and listen into that episode. But at the least I, I would love, if you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind sharing something kind of random that that most people wouldn't know about you personally.
1: I always stress about this question. Um, (laughs) I don't know why, but I do. So I just, I jotted down some some thoughts the other day about, I was asked this question to become a member of a Facebook group. And I lived in France for a summer when I was in high school, which is super interesting. I still don't speak French, (laughs) which I think is really funny. But I think that that's really when it instilled in me this love for adventure and love for travel and like this love for people. So I've been, I think I talked, touched on this in episode 81, but I've been taking my kids on adventures. So road trips, we go on road trips, we're trying to hit all 50 states before they turn 18. And um, this winter we went to Florida, we went to Universal Studios, Harry Potter World. They're really big into Harry Potter. That was our, that was our big trip. I was just there.
0: It's, it's quite amazing.
1: Oh, it was amazing. It was so much fun. I haven't read Harry Potter. I haven't fully watched all the movies and I don't tend to like theme parks. So I was afraid I was going to be miserable there. It wasn't, it was actually really fun.
0: <laughs> the, the big question. The most important question is, did you have yeah. butterbeer?
1: Of course. We oh. had both versions. <laughs>
0: oh, my. oh both, So you had the, the, um, the frozen version and the non-frozen version? Yes. Okay. Awesome. I had the frozen and I love butterscotch anyway. And I didn't, I hadn't put two and two together I'd forgotten or something, but I didn't realize it was butterscotch. So when I tasted that, oh my word, it's so incredibly rich, like a couple of sips and you can almost be done, but it was really, really good.
1: Yeah, we definitely shared one. (laughs) It was a lot.
0: (laughs) That's Um, awesome.
1: But it is good. But it was just really interesting because when I was in my 20s, I mean, my teens and my 20s, I loved roller coasters. I was obsessed with adrenaline, anything like jumping off the cliffs, whatever. I was an adrenaline junkie. You could find me climbing trees. <laughs> I love and,
0: it again, how you mentioned that very nonchalantly jumping off of cliffs, you know, like <laughs> in, anybody would.
1: <laughs> um, climbing the, the tree, the doll's tree in the neighborhood, standing on top of my bike, or on top of like one of those old wooden sleds as it goes down a giant hill, all sorts of crazy stuff. And it, somewhere in my mid twenties, I hit this wall and I couldn't do anything. Of it. Like I just didn't like it anymore. I, had, I started getting vertigo. I hated it all. And it was I don't know that it was depressing but it was just kind of like oh that stinks like that part of my life's over. And so we go to Harry Potter world and my oh, I have a daughter who's 22 and so she talks me into going on a roller coaster with her and I was terrified to get on this roller coaster. I was like I'm going to hate it, it's going to be miserable. And about halfway through I turned to her and just screamed, I want to do this again. This is amazing. And so I feel like it's just it's so cool to rediscover old loves. I don't know, it's just <laughs> it's just weird to discover that I do still like roller coasters.
0: Well, and, and of course the wonderful thing even with the 22-year-old is seeing through the eyes of, of somebody younger than you and kind of having the experience together. Um, I, I'd love, I, I tend to find myself living not necessarily vicariously through my kids, but certainly kind of experiencing life in a different light, uh, because of their perspective and, and they're both so intelligent and it continues to push me, but it's, it's awesome to have that perspective. Uh, but it's, but you talk about adventures too. This also takes me back to something that maybe I've mentioned before, but I, I traveled so much growing up as a kid. And, and, uh, in fact, I've actually been to every state now, but Alaska, uh, we hit Hawaii a couple of years ago, my, myself and my kids. But I need to hit Alaska, and I think that'll be all fifty. It was such a privilege, and you know, I can look back through my my old album, if you will, my digital photo album of images from when I was a kid, and, and see pictures from those travels. I think it's a great thing. Uh, to expose our kids to those experiences and getting to know different people and being in unfamiliar places. And of course, getting to see these, these various sites that you know a lot of kids don't have the opportunity to see in person. And so that's really great that you're making that, that proactive effort. And, and I have to ask too, what was the, the roller coaster that you rode there at the, at the park?
1: Um, so the first one was the, it's like the, it's a rocket. It's called Rocket or something. Yes. It's in the, and then I went on Hulk too. Oh, yeah. Um, okay,
0: cool. I didn't go but, on Hulk, but the, the rocket was amazing. Um, it was I lo- so fun. <laughs> oh, it, it not only was just a great ride all around, but, but, um, but then you get to customize the music that you're listening to as you're riding. That For, was really
1: cool. That was so <laughs>
0: great. Yeah, I mean, it, it just made the experience that much more intense and, and fun. That was a great roller coaster.
1: It was. And then because I went on it and my kids, um, the little ones saw me super scared, two out of the three of the little ones went too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So,
1: yeah, it was cool to see that translate down.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I want to transition to something totally different now. I'm, I'm curious, and I don't think we talked about this in episode 81. So I'm curious to get your take on a favorite item in your gear bag. Like, do you have a favorite camera body or lens or a camera bag or some other accessory? What, what's, what's something that comes to mind?
1: So I actually go pretty light these days in my camera bag. I used to do the dual body shooting and I'd have all prime lenses. So I walked around with about six lenses every wedding day. And then, you know, everything else that goes along with it, lighting, flashes, accessories. And a couple years ago, I realized I went to workshop and realized that though, all that changing of lenses was not serving the way that I shoot hmm. super well. It just wasn't, yeah. um, I'm very, very moment driven. So I'm moving a lot and, you know, I want to get the tiny little moment in the corner that's happening at the same time as the one across the room. So I went to this workshop and somebody had been using the 2470 and they produced incredible images with it. So I thought, okay, I'll rent it one more time because I had rented it a million times and never loved it because it wasn't my primes. I rented it, loved it, ended up buying it. I never even returned it. And so now I walk around, I'm not kidding, with one body, the 2470 and the 135. Obviously, I have a backup camera in my bag, but that's all I use all wedding day.
0: And did, did you say, what was that Canon or Nikon or Sony? Or? It's Canon. Yeah. Canon, okay.
1: Canon. yep. So it's just that combo serves me super well. I love it. And so I can't say one thing is my favorite because those three kind of go together.
0: (laughs) Well, but you know, this is a really interesting point and kind of going back to the philosophy that we were talking about earlier, which is being really clear about, well, in this case, specifically your shooting style, but it's a reflection of the business model, which is driven by your philosophy. And if you're really clear about what it is that you're trying to accomplish with life, and then of course, as a result, the business model that you're creating, it can even filter down or enable you to filter out um, the things that are even necessary in your in your gear bag. And it may sound totally nerdy and, and over the top, but the last thing that we need as, as business owners, photography business owners, is to make our lives more complicated. When I think about complication versus simplicity, uh, or if I want to, to create a more simple workflow or a simple lifestyle, I'm thinking about minimizing the number of moving parts. And that uh-huh. can include something like gear in your camera bag. And I, I love that you were really clear about what it is that you were wanting to accomplish as a photographer. You realized that your existing setup, just it, it was getting in the way of you more efficiently accomplishing that goal. So you got rid of the unnecessary moving parts. You minimized the number of moving parts and kept the stuff that actually mattered toward that goal. And again, that's a wonderful example for our listeners. I love that.
1: Yeah, I used to be like, I just collect all the gear. I wanted it all. (laughs) Um, Oh,
0: it's fun. No question. (laughs) It's
1: so fun. I had to institute a rule for myself that was, if it's not broken or you cannot justify a really good reason why you need this, you can't buy it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think that's great. I, I still, even though I, I stopped shooting weddings a number of years ago, I'm still buying equipment for you know, doing podcasts or, or creating video content or otherwise. And I and I end up realizing, you know what? As much as I thought, or at least the idea of it seemed really cool that I have this piece of equipment or that piece of equipment, and it's definitely going to make, make me a better photographer or videographer or whatever it might be. At the end of the day, you can really get wonderful things accomplished with just a few simple pieces of gear. And I've kind of taken it to an extreme in that I'm focusing on using the my iPhone X as the primary tool for photography, as well as videography, even content that we're creating for photographers edit. So at the end of the day, really, it's, it's about the purpose that then drives the content. And um, you don't have to have every piece of gear in order to make that happen. So uh, I, yeah. I love. I love again that the philosophy is driving what you're doing in that. And speaking of philosophy, that's really a great segue into kind of our <laughs> focus and the conversation today. And um, if if I were to give this a title right now, I would simply call call it "It's about the client," and yeah. and, and that's what we're going to kind of focus on. And and I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but uh, I, I'd like getting into topics such as this that that may ruffle a few feathers. Um, you know, as, as not only artist types and photographers and business owners, it's easy to let our egos get in the way and, um, and, and ultimately focus, kind of push our focus toward our work and how it makes us feel and what uh, the, the impression that we're making on the world and the response that we're getting in return and how many likes and, and you know, the type of engagement that we're getting. And at the end of the day, we are still running a business that is serving the client And uh, I know that you've made that a priority and a focus. And so we're going to dig into what that actually looks like. Um, And we're going to be talking about creating a better client experience. But again, more specifically addressing how from your perspective, the client their wedding day is more important than the artistic agenda. So I'd like to kind of start first, maybe with how you approach the consultation with your clients prior to the wedding day. What does that look like? What kind of information are you gathering from them uh, regarding the day with this kind of philosophy in mind?
1: Yeah. I always feel like the consultation is a bit of a balance because I'm really laid back and I really just want to have a genuine conversation and get to know my clients on a personal level. I mean, I feel that way about anybody I interact with. So there's that side, but then there's also the part of me that's just, I mean, I'm selling, this is my job, it's my business. So I do also have to sell. So I always feel like it's a fine line because if I do it well, I don't really have to sell much because it becomes part of the conversation. But really, I just, when I sit down with someone, I mean, from the very first time that we start interacting via email, I try to keep it personal. I just, I want to know where they come from. I want to know about their families. I want to know how they met, where they work. I want to know everything. Um, just whatever you would talk about with anybody else, that's kind of the conversation we'll have. Um, and it eventually leads to the wedding day. So we'll eventually get to the point where we're talking about the wedding day and where it's at and you know how they envision it. We'll touch on styles and details, but Ultimately the question that I need answered to know if we're meant to work together is what is most important to them? You know, is their focus the decor? Is it the portraits? Is it the fashion, the flowers? Um, Because my clients, um, the ones who resonate with me and the ones who I resonate with on a deeper level they inevitably say something along the lines of the moments, the people, the celebration. They want to be able to enjoy their day and celebrate with their loved ones. So the entire time that we're talking, I'm looking for them to say that.
0: And if they because, don't say that, will you? I, I mean, do you just end up reaching back out to them? Or do you tell them in the moment, hey, you know what? I, I just don't think we're a good fit. What does that look like?
1: So honestly, I, I don't know if it's the way everything's written on my website. I don't know if it's just the way the interactions flow through. I've only encountered that problem one or two times where it's been not a good fit. Um, And most of the time it's just, it works itself out either. They don't end up hiring me and I let them make that decision. Sometimes I think it's more important that they make that decision than I make that for them.
0: Sure. Do you, do you, and and by the way, I'll just kind of throw this out there since we're talking about it. If, If, for those of you listening in who haven't already gone back to episode 81 and learned about Rachel's website, it's just very simply Rachel R A C H A E L. S-C-H-I-R-A-N-O, com. Make sure you go take a look at the website. And I'm actually curious, what percentage, if you know offhand, what percentage of your clients do you get as a result of the website? And what percentage are referrals?
1: At this point, it's a lot of referrals. So it's a lot of, I saw you at so-and-so's wedding or so-and-so recommended you to me. Okay. And so a lot of it is definitely referrals, but I do still drive a lot from the website too. I would say probably 25 30%.
0: Okay. Well, and the reason I ask is because you, you were saying that you tend to get these clients who already fit the model that you're creating or that you've created for your business, the clients that you are hoping to go after, and they seem to fit that um, mold, for lack of a better word. And, and so I just was curious what you were doing to bring in clients that that fit that goal. And maybe in this case, if, if most of them come from referrals... Uh, they're, we're talking about like-minded people, right? So, mm-hmm, the, very the, much so yeah. And, and, and like-minded people are referring like-minded people and, and uh, you end up with clients that, that already are wanting exactly what it is that, that you hope to offer them. So that's, that's pretty great.
1: Yeah. And I think though, when, before I had the referrals rolling in, cause you know, it takes a couple of years to get to that point. I would say it was probably a lot of, it was a lot of website driven. People would find me on Google and they just liked what I said. A lot of times I'll get your about me page really spoke to me. My website right now is super simple. I just kind of curated everything down. I switched platforms and in the effort to switch quickly, I kept it super simple, but it's always been very direct and to the point at the same time, having some personality infused in it, but I don't mince words. Like, you know, I mean, I have on there, I don't know if it's on my website now, but it used to be that, you know, clients can send me Pinterest boards and I'll use them as inspiration, but I'm not going to copy them because that's not their day that's somebody else's day
0: <laughs> and that's a really great point uh, and and a good well a good talking point ultimately for photographers who are meeting with whether it's portrait clients or wedding clients i i, I think it's a, a really constructive way shall we say to address that pinterest conversation which can be a little bit frustrating and annoying you know we get these massive lists or examples of of all these photos of scenarios that these clients have seen online and and of course I'm sure we can all empathize with their desire in that. But at the end of the day, as you said, it is their day that you're capturing. And so while there's a particular style or look that maybe they're going for, ultimately their day is going to look a little bit different. And and creating and managing that expectation up front is really important.
1: I think that's very true. I think communication is everything, but I think it's really important to set expectation because I I want my clients to be happy with the end result, but I also want it to be a true representation of their day. So if they send me a Pinterest board and they want me to recreate all those images, that's just going to be us copying what somebody else has already done, not telling their story. Um, And I'm really driven by telling their story. So um, I want them to know that up front, that if you want like Vogue-esque fashion portraits, they're beautiful. There's somebody else that's better suited to that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Well, again, the, the importance, the priority that you place on telling someone's story uh, that comes through and, and what you're describing right now. And, you know, ultimately, it gives more significance to the idea of getting to know the client. I mean, it's not unusual that photographers during their initial consultation are, quote, getting to know their client. But I think the motive may be different from photographer to photographer, at least in some cases. Yours is very specifically about getting to know, not just getting to know them on a surface level, but getting to know who they are and then how that ultimately translates to what they want from their wedding day, and then, of course, you can consider what that would look like from a photographic standpoint and so I think that 's really important distinction to make. I, I know that the schedule kind of vary from client to client, but once mm-hmm. you have that consultation, you go to their wedding day. Uh, Can you describe what a typical wedding day looks like for you as the photographer with, again, this focus in mind of how can I best tell their story? Not how can I create this really cool image that can go on Instagram and get a bunch of likes from other photographers, but how can I actually create imagery that truly reflects this client's story and their wedding day?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just in the... just to be real here. Like everybody gets caught up in wanting likes and wanting people to like their photos and comment on their photos and share their photos. I'm not immune to that. Everybody wants that, but that's not how I approach shooting. And that's not how I approach a wedding day. So it's, I I obviously have a lot of experience. My clients are usually typically doing this for the first time. This is the first wedding they've thrown. This is the first wedding they've had. They may have been to 15 weddings in the past two years, but this is theirs. I've been to hundreds of weddings. So I definitely share my expertise. You know, I tell them the best time for lighting. I tell them the best options for locations. We work in time and the timeline for portraits. Um, You know, we have that conversation where we discuss what is the most important thing to you. Is it the time of day that you have portraits or is it that, you know, I make the best with whatever situation is thrown at me and we get beautiful portraits out of that. So, so typically it's, it's very similar from wedding to wedding, depending on whether they have a first look or not. But I would say the majority of my clients do want to incorporate time where they go to a bar or they go to their house or they go to a hotel room and they just hang out and spend time with their friends, like their closest friends and their closest loved ones before going to the reception. And so it's really important to them that they work in time. And so I'm just very clear on, I need to have about two hours of portrait time in the timeline to get what you see on my website, but we'll make it comfortable and relaxed and it does not it's not intense. You know, it's not like you're sitting there for two entire hours back-to-back shooting. You know, there's parts with the wedding party, there's parts with family, and then there's parts with you guys. But ultimately, if what they want to do is have their ceremony at noon in harsh lighting, or they have an Uncle Bob who wants to photograph him over my shoulder during family portraits, or they don't want to do a first look, I believe that it's my job to deliver a beautiful gallery, regardless of the situation. So that's what they're paying me to do is to photograph around all of that, not let it ruffle my feathers to make sure that I can deliver. If we have a beautiful backdrop or if we don't, you know, sometimes I end up with a parking lot.
0: (laughs) And that's why we have 1.2 lenses, right?
1: Exactly. My (laughs) job to make it look pretty. So, I mean, I just, I believe it's their wedding day. It's their show. It's not mine. And it's not a shoot I've put together to create beautiful art. It's their wedding day. So I always want to give them that space and time that they want to enjoy their day.
0: Well, and I think it's important, too, that, you know, one thing that, that well, two two ideas to keep in mind. One that we've already mentioned, which is that this, at the end of the day, this is not, even as enjoyable as it is, no question, uh, it's not about getting likes from other photographers. It's about giving imagery to our clients who are going to uh, that is that they're going to actually be happy with there's there's plenty of opportunity maybe even within the day itself but certainly at other times for us to create personal art for ourselves and for whoever else we want to share it with for that very specific benefit. But at the end of the day, we are serving a client. In order to build a business, we need to create happy or, or make happy clients. And and so that should be our primary focus. And in this case, you're doing that through focusing on the story that is a true reflection of these clients and not trying to create that image that everybody is going to like on, on Instagram. Uh, ideally it becomes one and the same, but the focus is on the client. So I think that's an important distinction. But the other thing that I wanted to mention too, is it, it might be good just for the sake of all everyone listening in that if you know, you're going to be running into situations where you're going to have a rough backdrop or maybe the lighting isn't ideal. I still think back to weddings that I shot here in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, Midday, especially in the summer, midday, three o'clock, you know, we, we haven't been able to work out a scenario where we're either shooting in open shade or we're shooting at sunset. So we're in the middle of the day, overhead light, maybe a few clouds, and this light is really, really harsh. It's causing dark shadows. You know, what do you do in that scenario? And those are all kinds of potential solutions. But all that to say, it might be good just again, for the sake of managing expectations that we not only put, you know, the most beautiful backdrops on our website, but that our clients or potential clients also see even examples that are photographed in scenarios where you didn't necessarily have the most incredible lighting or you didn't necessarily have the most amazing backdrop. Uh, But the, the, the capture, the moment that was captured for the sake of the client, that interaction, the emotion, the raw emotion, that that becomes the focus. And that they see those ahead of time, too, so that they know what that can look like. So that when they get their images back, some photographers might say, well, they, they went on Pinterest and then they saw my portfolio and they expect this this perfection. And I can't give it to them because now they want portraits in the middle of the day. That, that's going to happen. It's just, it is going to happen as wedding photographers and we need to manage our yeah. expectations. So having examples of a wide range of scenarios in our, on our portfolio is, I think an important idea.
1: Very much. I try, I mean, as much as I'd love to share just the most beautiful highlights of the day, um, <laughs> the perfect lighting, I, I do try to show, especially on my blog, a wider variety of a full day, you know, so that you have all those lighting scenarios. And up until very recently, I actually had a midday sun first look in my portfolio images. So, Um, I definitely do that. But I think, you know, I tell my clients that upfront, like, this is what you're going, this is what it's going to look like. And if you're okay with that, I mean, I've even pulled out my phone in a coffee shop when I'm meeting with them and taken different angles to show them what it's going to look like. Interesting. Yeah. So just so they can see the difference in the lighting on their face. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, and I let them know this too. I want to set everything up beforehand. I want to know everything, timeline, details, whatever's important to you. But I tell them I work off of a shot uh, of a timeline, not a shot list. And we spend all this time putting it together so that on the wedding day, you can be present and enjoy your celebration instead of stressing about your photographs. Because ultimately, that's when I can best work my magic and everybody's way happier.
0: (laughs) And what's the distinction that, that you make between working from a timeline versus a shot list?
1: I feel like a shot list is very much make sure you photograph the shoes and the earrings and Aunt Sally putting together the cake table. And, you know, it's very much like that. And I've done this for so long now that I just know what notes need to be hit on a wedding day. So it's more like pulling out just the the important pieces of information. So if your cake server is the same cake server that your mom and dad used at their wedding, I want to know that because I'm going to photograph it a little bit more than I probably would just a regular cake server. And I want a family list. Like, don't get me wrong. That makes it go so much faster. But other than that, it's just a timeline. So this is when you're getting into your dress. And this is when I'm going to do the details. And then we just plan it all out beforehand. So when I show up, it goes super fast. Nobody's stressed. Everything's ready to go. Everybody knows where they need to be. And obviously, we work in extra time. So nobody's ever late. <laughs> that,
0: that's interesting. I, I like that, that it's not just simply driven by the individual shot as much as, well, really it follows that philosophy that you're talking about, which is kind of following the moment. Um, If there are particular shots that the client is looking for, there's no reason you can't get those in the moment, but letting it be, letting the schedule, the the timeline being the focus, is uh, that's an interesting perspective. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but I I like it. And it certainly, again, it it fits that philosophy. So I think that's wonderful. Would you say that, uh, if you were just to kind of compare over the years that you photographed, maybe when you started, not not how you approached photography, looking through that camera and framing the shot uh, or what you were thinking about as you're getting ready to go to the next image or the next point in the timeline. Uh, would you say that your perspective or your approach to the photography changed significantly, either from a technical standpoint or just a, an overall approach when you didn't put as much emphasis on the client's story to now when you do? How how did that change, if, if at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I used to... Um have a folder on my, well, it's some I used to print it, but I had a printed sheet and then it was a folder on my phone where I had inspiration images for their day. And I found that it actually inhibited me from telling their story because I would be so concerned about making sure that I, it wasn't necessarily copying it, but it was like things I wanted to try or just trying to be different, like this drive to share something new and different. And Um, I cannot remember if it was a conversation I had. I think it was a conversation with my husband, but he just looked at me one day and he said, it's not, you're not taking the same photograph over and over again, because that's how you feel after you photograph so many things. You feel like you're taking the same photographs over and over again. He said, it's not, you're not photographing the same image over and over again because there's different people in them. So that is the first time that they have that portrait on their wedding day. And so, I kind of came up with you know you have your list of just kind of fallback poses so you don't freeze in the moment um, and nine times out of ten, I don't even use those now because I'm just going with whatever's there, but it was that letting go like just letting go of whatever expectation I had for the day and yeah. just following following what was happening
0: it's such a fresh start i I love that and, and it, you talked about the the notion of simple lessons right it's such a simple idea, but the the, idea, the the notion, the, the approach, the mentality of I'm going to set everything else aside that I've photographed in the past and I'm going to start fresh right now, whatever time, you know, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 p.m., what, whatever time the day starts, I'm hitting the reset button. I'm starting fresh right now. I love that perspective. I think that's really great.
1: Yeah, it it kind of changed everything. um <laughs> That's when I really started to focus way more on moments. And I would say now it's probably even more of a photojournalistic approach than anything. Yeah. Um, in the way I tell wedding story days, but I mean, we still do portraits because they're important, but
0: <laughs> and, and plenty of clients still want them. And again, if if we're talking about catering to what the client is, is looking for, not just telling their story, but also understanding what type of imagery they're looking for. You know, you alluded to the to the Vogue fashion shot earlier, as much as we as photographers might think that looks cool or edgy, or, you know, we're we're adding something different to our portfolio. Most clients aren't going to frame that and, and stick it in their home. Um, it, that's just the reality of it. So thinking about what the client actually wants—a portrait, a family portrait—is is significant to them, and that's that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. What would you say though led to the decision to make this this switch? Uh, was it that around that conversation with your husband where you went from I'm a photographer focusing on the artistic side of things or your photographic preferences? Uh, going from that to focusing more about the client story or more on the client story?
1: No, it was actually, so my parents have a house in Arizona. They escape every winter. They're snowbirds, but they escape where, I'm in Illinois, for anyone who doesn't know that, but they, every winter when business is quiet, we take a trip down there to visit them. Sometimes my husband's with us, sometimes he's not, but typically we don't, that's when we go down to Arizona and we soak up the warmth in the sun and I get to rest and relax for a little bit. So several years ago, I can't remember, it was like four years ago, we have some close family friends that live down the street from my parents and we were at their house for dinner and we had wine and food and we talked about love stories and meeting our spouses and falling in love, shared proposal stories, wedding day memories, like we were just going over everything. And so a few nights later, well, they were at our house, sorry. A few nights later, we went to their house and they, they fed us dinner, they had wine, whatever. And they ended up pulling out their wedding album because of the conversation we had had a couple nights before. Um, and we spent over an hour paging through the images in their album and talking about their day. And it was incredibly powerful to watch. They had, been, they had just celebrated their 50, I think, second wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. And it was incredibly powerful to listen to them talk about the images in the album. And yeah. This, you know, this is a 50-year-old wedding album. So it's not like the wedding albums you see today. But they weren't talking about the flowers and the cake and the invitation and the dress. They're talking about the people. And only the people mm. and the ones that they've lost all the crazy mishaps, like all of the stories that happened, the moments that made up their day, that's what they were talking about. And all of these pictures were bringing that all back. And it was just that focus on the people in the images that just kind of drove it home for me. And I realized in through those, that whole experience that a wedding day had so very little to do with me. So very little I'm there and I take pictures and I do my best to deliver a beautiful gallery, but it's everything to do with them. It's everything to do with their loved ones. This is something that if all goes well, they'll be talking about in 52 years. That's incredibly humbling. So even though I show up on a wedding day and I take great care to frame every single shot artistically and beautifully and deliver that to my clients, I don't approach it with the intent to shoot for me. I shoot for my clients. I want them to be able to have that same kind of moment in 52 years.
0: Oh, that, that you, I mean, you, you couldn't have summed it up more beautifully. I, and I think that's a, a wonderful example and lesson for all of us. And, and, but I, I also have to play devil's advocate here because even myself, as much as I'm, I'm a huge fan of of focusing on what works for the sake of the client and the business. I know I want creative outlets of various types. So for the, for those listening in, who are saying, you know what? I, I get the thought process. It's nice, but I still, I'm going to get burned out if I don't have an artistic outlet. If I shoot 30 weddings a year um, and, and all I'm thinking about is just making sure I get the image for the client that they want, and I don't have an artistic outlet through that, I'm just going to get so tired of my, my so-called job. How do you, you kind of balance this client-centric approach um, you know, geared toward their story and photography that centers around telling that story, uh, with also finding some type of outlet for art as a photographer.
1: Yeah. So I this is going to be a really complicated answer to a very simple question. <laughs> so I feel like on a wedding day, I do still have creative outlet throughout the day. You know, I play with lighting, and I play with angles, and I play with backgrounds, and I play with watching people's faces and trying to get that moment. Um, I joke and call it people stalking but really it's like i know that person has a great laugh and i haven't gotten it yet and i want to get it um i definitely do that i also i mean explore artistic framing through the portrait side of things as well so it's not like it's not present on a wedding day um and actually i found that since i let go of that control my wedding days tend to be a little bit more um creative and a little less the same because i'm not driving it they are
0: that totally makes sense
1: Yeah. But as far as outlets as a photographer, I mean, obviously that's why I started shooting, not really why I started shooting boudoir, but that's why I'm drawn to other things like shooting boudoir or working with other people. But photography is about my only artistic outlet. I can't draw. I can't paint. I can't sculpt. I've tried. It's just (laughs) something I'm good at. (laughs) We play uh, Pictionary and everybody laughs at me because my pictures are so awful. (laughs) But I love, I love music. So we'll have like random dance parties in the middle of a normal day at home. I talked about road trips earlier. That's another thing that really drives my creative side. I don't know. I find bits of inspiration everywhere. It's just, I think for me, it's just picking up something new. Like right now I'm, I used to love to write. And right now I've kind of recently started to get back into it a little bit. I'm just kind of a dreamer. I like to come up with new ideas and new strategies and implement new things and talk with other creatives about where they're going and figure out ways to get them there. <laughs>
0: Well, you know what, what's, what's standing out to me in this conversation is the notion of diversifying, right? It's, it's so, oh, yeah. I mean, whether it's with relationships or in business or pretty much in any element of our lives, if we go extreme, uh, most of us anyway, if we go to the extreme of only focusing on one thing, uh, we're going to, well, we're going to lose perspective first of all, but, but then it's going to be easy, especially in the context of business to get burnt out. And so first of all, again, I love that perspective of looking at each day from uh, a fresh, well, perspective, from a Mm -hmm. fresh standpoint and and looking for opportunity then within that fresh, that blank canvas, if you will, uh, to create something beautiful, focusing on the client's story, but within, of course, that context, creating something beautiful. I love that. I think I think, and I've mentioned this before, but wedding photographers, good wedding photographers have to be some of the most talented photographers in the world because we're constantly, we have these these unique situations kind of constantly thrown at us. Sure, the timelines may be relatively consistent. You may have photographed a kiss before or a wedding cake before, but we're constantly put in these situations where the lighting is slightly different or you know something doesn't go according to plan. It doesn't follow the timeline and we're surprised it's- a little bit and you just got to make it work you do. Yeah. And I love that. I love that challenge, the challenge innate to that. But then of course the challenge of creating something beautiful from yet again, a a blank canvas, a fresh story I think is really great. But then the fact that you're diversifying your time, not just dedicating it toward to photography as one form of art, but also paying attention to other forms of art. And that not only again, helps minimize burnout, but it also makes you a, a, I think a more talented artist in the end because you have perspective that comes from all different places versus just one.
1: Absolutely. 100%. And I think I, I implemented a rule a long, long time ago uh, when I was just focused on family photography that I would not bring my camera anywhere that was for me. So I know it's it's hard sometimes because you know we go on these epic road trips and I bring my phone. But for me, when I have the camera, I am in one mode. I'm in work mode. I am in artist mode. I am not in mom mode. I'm not in wife mode. I'm not in me mode. It's a totally different place to be. And I want to be super present when I'm there with my kids and my husband so that I can remember that stuff along with them. That's why I bring my phone so I can take snaps. But I just, to me, it's important to be present and I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it kills me to not have my camera there. Like I still frame things.
0: <laughs> well, what do you feel like you're missing out on by not having the so-called professional camera there versus your phone?
1: Probably nothing. If I'm being perfectly honest, especially now that phones have come so far, I feel like when I made this rule, it wasn't the same, but it's just, you know, having those epic photographs are just for your kids, for yourself, for art purposes. I mean, and not to lie for my Instagram. Like that would be great to have those shots sure. to share. Yeah. They're all cell phone shots. And sometimes I forget to take pictures because we're just soaking up the moment. And I'm okay with that, I think.
0: <laughs> well, you know, the, the two biggest differences right now, the, the two Ds, if you will, one is depth of field, the control of depth of field, even though, I mean, that that is actually coming in in the form of software now. dynamic range is another one that comes to mind kind of differences that you might notice between files out of a a digital slr professional level digital slr and and the phone but even that has improved significantly you're right i mean there's there's not a a massive difference especially for the trade-off of carrying heavy gear around and i've mentioned this product before but i personally use moment lenses if you guys just google search and we'll link to it in the show notes as well but uh, for those of you listening, and if you just Google Moment Lens, um, you'll see, well, it'll take you to the website, and it's just a, it's a beautiful quality product that gives you a w- really wonderful finished image, and they've got a wide angle and a fisheye and, and a telephoto and a macro, and those are easy to just stick in your pocket or in a purse or whatever the case and, and take them with you, throw them on if you want something a little bit different. And, uh, and, and the fisheye, fisheye lens is actually really great for, for big group selfies even. Um, but, but you can use products like that, tools like that, that will do plenty good enough. And as you say, it will enable you to, to more readily be present. And I think that's, that's a really, really important thing. At the end of the day, as much as we are artists and, and you know, it's really not an all or nothing proposition, we should certainly find outlets for art in all different areas of our craft uh, and, and even outside of it. Um, it is about the client. If we want to build a successful business, the focus has to be there. We need to be asking how we can make the client happiest, um, of course, within the, the boundaries, within the parameters of our business model and our, our long-term goals. And it, it's I love that you remind us of that. I think this has been a wonderful conversation and I really can't thank you enough for making time to, to share with our listeners.
1: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me again.
0: Well, and, and I want to make sure that they know where they can see what you're doing online. So if you'll just remind them of your website where they can uh, find you on instagram and facebook that would be great
1: yeah so my website's my name it's r-a-c-h-a-e-l-s-c-h-i-r-a-n-o.com um, and you can find me under instagram just under rachel sorano and facebook is rachel sorano photography
0: perfect thanks again rachel
1: yeah thanks a lot
0: dot com.